broadcasting from somewhere deep in Hazard County. It's Guatney Unplugged with Scott Romine. Hey, Scott Romine here. We're talking with my hero, Joey Kramer, doubled Arnold Schwarzenegger, worked on the greatest films ever made. You're working on Predator. How hard really was dealing with the jungle? I mean, would you see snakes and and bugs? And I mean, it's got to be miserable. Yeah, it was, you know, it was very humid, very hot. And yes, there was, there was a snake they had down in Palenque called a Nawaka. They said, it, we had, and I've had them on set. We had nurses on set. If you got bit by that, they'd tell you to run just to kill you because it kills you within a couple of minutes. Oh, my but gosh. Oh, yeah. It was, and I saw bugs down there that I had didn't even know existed, prehistoric looking bugs. We stayed in this hotel in Palenque. And I remember we were, when we were picked up at the little airport, we flew into Mexico City, and we had to take a puddle jumper into Villahermosa, and then we drove for four hours to Palenque. And it's dirt roads, just huge canvas jungle. It's me, Henry Kinji, Tony Brubaker. There were just a handful of us down there. And 14-foot walls to keep the big cats out. Now, the other thing we had to deal with at this hotel, it was decorated. you got to remember, we're down in near Guatemalan border, you know, where the Mayan ruins are. There's not a lot there. They're not actually Mexican people. They're descendants of the Mayans called Chol, Chol Indians, very beautiful, friendly people. And, uh, you know, they had a pool. We had a nice little restaurant. Um, but the bugs, when you'd get into uh. your hotel room at night, the walls were crawling on the outside. We used to have to take hairspray with big lighters and make blow torches to blow the bugs off. I mean, it was, and I hate bugs. And I'll tell you a story real quick if you got it. Sure, go ahead. Joel, it's where Arnold's crawling towards the end when he's getting away from the predator. Oh, yeah. He goes down. So Joel Silver comes up. He goes, oh, he wants to do this shot where Arnold rolls over and there's a thousand bugs on his back crawling around. And he comes up to me. He goes, Joel, you're going to do it. You're doing it. You're the, I said, Joel, I ain't doing it. I hate bugs. You ain't putting one bug on me, let alone 500 to 1,000. Right. He goes, get the stunt devil. You're doing it. I'll fire you. I said, fine. Fire me right now, Joel. I'm not freaking doing it. Arnold says, hey, relax. I do it. So they have these bug wranglers. They've got all sorts of different looking bugs and beetles. Bugs, oh, yeah. Two buckets for them. So they get ready to roll. They dump them on Arnold. He starts crawling and he starts going, ah. They're biting biting the daylights out of them. They sweep all the bugs off. They hose him down. Arnold goes up. He goes, yeah, it looks like I'm the idiot. I should have listened to you. He goes, and it's never in the movie. (laughs) No, it's not in the film. Joel Silver started laughing and turned away. He loved to do that to people, but I knew his game. You mentioned Henry uh, Henry Kenji. Isn't he the one that tries to get in the truck that Arnold has put the bomb in the back of? Yeah. Yeah, that's Henry Sr. Wonderful, wonderful man. You know, we've worked together for so many years, you know, on TV shows, features, got some of the Fast and Furious films. Henry's the best, man. He's just an awesome, awesome guy. Didn't, didn't Arnold get married during Predator somehow? Yes, and I've got a funny story to tell you if you really yes, want to hear it. Yes, heck yeah. Uh, it's a little disgusting. I'm just going to tell you that right now. <laughs> Arnold and I would always practical joke with each other to the point of getting really across the line. So <clears throat> we're shooting the jungle encampment. Maria's coming down, and he's going to visit her. And he, we're filthy. 
Arnold says, I got to get done early, so I get back and get showered. Well, I had a room next door to Arnold that connected to his suite. I got home before him. And I he's and I went into his room and he's got this big opulent, you know, solid onyx shower, eight feet across, oh, wow. dual heads, the whole bit. He's got the suite. Well, I go and take care of some fundamental business in the middle of his shower. Sure. Okay. <laughs> you, sure you can imagine oh, no. what that was. Oh, no. uh, as a joke. And I come out and I get into my room and I hear the I hear his key coming in and he's talking with his assistant. He goes, you know, I gotta go shower. I know Maria's flight landed. So all of a sudden, I'm being quiet. Two minutes later, I hear him go, oh, God, he's knocking on my door going, Jolie boy, I know you're in there, you idiot. I think something of you left in the shower. You left in the shower. Oh. And I hear a knock on my door, and it's Maria, and he's filthy. So that night, we're all at dinner. Arnold comes up to me. He goes, give me five. I go, why? He goes, that was a good one. The maid thinks I took a dump in my shower. <laughs> you know, he had to call head Bruce. Oh. <laughs> but that's, those are the kind of jokes we used to play. I mean, it got really raunchy, but we had fun. You know, it's not something I really want to say on radio, but uh, he put it in his book he did, but he made it into crickets. He goes, my stuntman went and put a thousand crickets that's in the right. shower. And I'm reading, this, I'm reading this going, you are so full of you know what pal trying to tell them the real truth because i can tell stories about what you've done you would know, you guys know. have the nerve to imitate him in front of him all the time i do it all the time <laughs> you're doing the arnold voice to arnold oh he's he fell asleep. You know, Arnold looks like freaking Frankenstein, let's face it. Oh, if he fell asleep, I glued these earplugs that look like Frankenstein bolts on the side of his neck. And he's passed out. People are dying laughing. They finish lighting, and uh, makeup comes over, and he's trying not to snicker. Arnold says, what's so funny? <laughs> Arnold says, let me see the monitor. They turn the monitor around. He looks He looks at me and just shakes his head and goes, pops one up. He goes, you know, of course, this means war. I said, oh, great. We're at it. You know, get game on. You know? Yeah. So, you know. Oh, yeah. We had fun. We had a lot of fun. We really did. Is it true like that, that. that Sonny Landham had bodyguards on the set of Predator? They had bodyguards to protect Sonny from himself. Really? You know, I like Sonny, but he was a nutcase. Sonny would drink and he'd get stupid. And they had to just protect Sonny from Sonny. It's not that anybody was going to hurt him. They had to keep him out of trouble so they could keep him in one piece to finish the film. Like three of the cast end up running for governor or becoming governors. From that oh, one. Jesse, from I the, love Jesse. Yeah. Jesse was great. This was Jesse's first film. Arnold, Jesse, and who's the other one? Uh, uh, Sonny Lanham ran for governor of Georgia. And I want oh, to God. say uh, <laughs> Jesse became what? Governor of Minnesota? Yeah, Jesse, you know, Jesse, Jesse was ex field team. So we're sitting on the set. This is his first film. And he talked to me. He goes, you know, Joey, Joey, this is really boring around here. You know, and, uh, <laughs> hey, hey, do you know, can, can, do you know where we can get some weed? I'd love to smoke some weed. You know, and I said, well, let me see what I can do for you. So some of the local Mexican stud guys got us, got me some weed. I get, he goes, I didn't know Jesse smoked twenty four seven. You know, <laughs> right? That was his. That was his. That was his deal. Joey, he he came to L A once after we had done the Running Man, and he calls me up. He goes, "Hey, Joey, I'm staying down at the Beverly Bubble Hotel. Hey, 
can you bring me down some weed? You know, I'm like, okay, <laughs> whatever. just like him. <laughs> but yeah, he's a great guy, though. I mean, I love Jesse. Just a really cool guy. He would always mess with Arnold. They, you know, they'd toy with each other back and forth all in fun. I remember when Arnold got married during Predator, you know, during the break. And when we were shooting in, in uh, Puerto Vallarta, before he was married, we'd be walking, you know, talking, talking to the jungle. And uh, Jesse would be behind him going, Arnold, just remember, it's I do, I do. Just remember when you're up there with Maria, I do. I just really get it. (laughs) How cool was that minigun? And how hard was that to work with on the set? Oh, it wasn't hard. You know, it was a cut-down version, and they had it strapped. They had to have wires going up, you didn't see these big 12-volt batteries. And then, you know, they, they'd run the, what you saw going into the gun was just, the, when he carried it, they had these little ammo belts, but the, in actuality, the real ones were like 15, 20 feet long. Because, you know, we that gun would shoot 6,000 rounds a minute, but you could dial it back to about 1,000 to 1,200, and that's where we ran it. Otherwise, you'd run out of ammo so fast, you know, and your ammo budget would be in the tens of thousands of dollars, you know. But the first time they actually used one was in the Green Berets, the John Wayne picture, in ah. the plane, the Puff the Magic Dragon. Yeah. yeah, I guess the thing is mainly like a helicopter mount. You could not realistically carry it around and carry enough ammo oh, to shoot God, it. No, 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 not, not even close. You know, even running that at, at two, at two, at thousand, thousand rounds a minute. I mean, think about that. A thousand—you couldn't carry a thousand rounds on you. Remember yeah. the gun that you carried, that Arnold's character carries in Predator, the the M two hundred three, the M sixteen. I yes. guess would you and Arnold have used the exact same rifle? All the time. You know, props had two or three of them. You know, it's always the same gun. You know. Well, and, uh, the unusual thing about it is I've researched this quite a bit, and apparently the same prop that Arnold carries is the same one that is used in the film Scarface, that everyone knows the famous, say hello to my little friend. You know what? It's the exact same gun. Be- well, all those guns were owned by Sid Stenbridge at the time, so they were, they'd be rented on different shows. Yeah, you that's know? that's that the research. Planet- yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, that was before the planet Hollywood. Nobody kept that. Nobody wanted the props, you know? That's true. They didn't mean as much back then. It's a big deal now. No. It's, it's huge now. It's huge money. You know, it's huge money. You know, and I remember when I took, on T2, they made jackets for Arnold and I, and uh, they had his hero jacket, but we'd wear different jackets because they were all distressed for different scenes. And I took, I kept one after the show. And I actually auctioned it off for a charity. He got like five, 6000 bucks for it back in the early 90s. I mean, I wish I would have kept it now, but it went to a good cause, you know. Do you have and, any uh, props from these films today? Not anymore. I've, I've given away to kids or to charity. I had one of the original Ghostbuster traps. I still have, actually, I still have the original license plates to the Ectomobile. The prop guy gave it to me, you know, and, uh, but I had the T2 snake fingers. They had a pile of all this stuff that Stan Winston was going to throw out. I see goes, take what you want. I was grabbing stuff right and left, you know, but it's just gone over the years. I had, <sighs> I actually had a friend of mine that really loved the T2, uh, 
And I had an end-up stop from the Saracona Club because I gave to a friend of mine. Oh, my gosh. He absolutely went nuts. I said, you'll just take it. You know? And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'd have went insane okay. for that. Got, yeah. I've got pictures. I've got memories, you know? My biggest prop here I have is Eddie Van Halen was a dear friend of mine. And he, he gave me a couple of guitars to be signed to me. And they're hanging on my wall. And we were really good friends, him and I and Alex, you know, for years, for decades. And uh, How did you, you meet know, those really guys? Funny. funny story. Uh, in Studio City, there's a little uh, golf nine-hole executive golf course, and they had big driving range, and they were always hitting golf balls there. And there was one one stall that was covered for rain. It's pouring rain one morning, and I'm, really, I'm the only idiot out there at nine in the morning. But I've got the covered stall, and I'm just corking golf balls. And all of a sudden, I hear this guy go, hey, hey, can I share the stall with you? And I'm looking down range. I turn around and look, and I go, absolutely. I turn back around. I go, that's Eddie freaking Van Halen. Oh, my gosh. And we ended up sharing the stall for like three, four hours. He goes, hey, come up to the studio. You know, we became friends. He only lived two, two three miles up Coldwater King. And we became tight friends. And I met Alex's brother. And Al and I, you know, they were at my wedding. You know, they're just... Really, two of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. God bless Eddie, you know. One of the most yeah, talented yeah. guys that ever lived, no question. Oh, oh. It was sick. I mean, you should, I mean, Eddie had a racquetball court in his house, and we always play racquetball. He goes, he had a full gym. He goes, yo, you got the gate code to get the property. Just come up and use the racquetball to wait anytime you want. <laughs> so I was always training up at his house. And, you know, the studio was about a thousand, you know, a thousand feet up this little road on the property up away from the house and in an over in you know. So long story short, Eddie at night would sit in the racquetball court and he'd play his cello. I mean the guy was a virtuoso. But one day he goes, Joel, I play a violin, I play this, I play that. He goes, the guitar's the only freaking thing I'd make a living with, you know. And uh, <laughs> but what was needed, I I sat there in the studio and played his original Frankenstrat, his Bumblebee, his Strike Kramers, all these guitars, you know. And uh, it, it's just neat. It's just really, really neat, you know? Yeah, and, just uh, the memories, just priceless. Oh, yeah. Oh, did, just priceless memories. Did, did you ever go motorcycle riding with Arnold? Yeah, but not that much, because I, I almost lost my leg. You know, a lady ran a red light back in the early 80s, almost took my leg off. So I did not, I rode bikes, I raced bikes, I do it on camera, but I didn't do a lot of street riding after that. It's too crazy. Yeah. I'm right. sorry, it's just not worth it. You know, not worth it. Real quick, funny story. We're prepping T2. And I've got Sparky Edmondson, who's the factory racing mechanic for Harley. He's building the five fat boys again. So meanwhile, step back to Total Recall, Arnold has his motorcycle crated and shipped down. Maria bought him a new heritage back then. So we made friends with the chief of police of Mexico City. Arnold would ride with him. He'd shut down roads, you know, the, the spar treatments. So Arnold's bike wasn't running good, so they said, well, get it to our garage, we'll fix it. So they fixed his bike. Right. Kept to what, what, what is two years later on T2, Arnold calls me up. Jolie, hey, uh, do you have a good mechanic on the show? I said, yeah, why? He goes, well, my bike's not running good. So I said, okay, I'll call Transpo, we'll get it picked up at your house. We're prepping the show. We had, had like 10, 12 weeks of prep. So I, I call up Gene Johnson. He sends a, a trailer out. They pick up Arnold's bike. Sparky goes, yeah, I'll go through it. We'll take, we'll take a look. So we bring it down to the shop. And about two days later, Sparky comes up to me in the production office. He goes, do you have a minute to talk? 
she had to go, what's up? He goes, um, Arnold's bike, I just took the motor apart. You know, those bikes came with what's called an evolution motor. How yeah. many miles did he have on that bike? Probably about 300. He goes, this motor has about 200,000 miles of wear. I started laughing. He goes, I go, he had it fixed in Mexico City. They swapped out the motor. Oh, the that's terrible. So I, so I call up Arnold and he's at his house. He goes, what's up? So I go, oh, we found out what's wrong with your bike. And I tell him, he goes, no. Or, yeah. He goes, no. I went, Arnold, yeah. They swapped your motor out. They stole your brand new. Uh, he goes, are you, are you effing kidding? <laughs> you know? So, you know, Sparky, they put him in motor and built it. Arnold paid for it, you know, and uh, it's been, I guess it's been running great ever since. Funny story. Take some nerve to do that to the Terminator, you know? Yeah, but that's, you know, and, and he was with the chief of police. They stole, they swapped out the motor. True story. Uh, I had... I had all those bikes canned in Matuni carbureted. They ran. And we had a big 40-foot trailer. I kept the bikes in there with all the stunt gear. And I said to everybody, okay, this is the bike we're going to fly on cables. This is the stunt bike. This is the rig bike. That this bike this stays in the back. They said, why? I said, because I made a deal with the company. I buy it for 40 cents on the dollar after the movie. I don't even want that bike out of the trailer. <laughs> Come to the end of the movie. Then, now I'm getting this bike back then they were ten grand. I'm getting it for forty two hundred bucks. Right. So so I'm on my way, we've wrapped the picture. Our production offices were down in North Hollywood. I am on the way down to the production office with my check to buy that bike and load it in my truck. And Stephanie Austin calls me. I'm back in our cell phones where you know they're all in car, big cell phones. Oh, sure. handset and and Stephanie, she goes, Joel, are you on your way down here? Yes, yeah, she goes, I got some bad news. I said, what? She goes, Jen got one bike, which we knew. Arnold took the other four for Planet Hollywood. I went, are you kidding me? He goes, nope. I went, oh, man. There uh, goes my Harley. <laughs> that was it. Would you believe I have a Harley just like that because because of that yeah. film? Yes, that was. You know. Yeah. No telling well, how many they yeah, sold yeah. just because of that. You couldn't get one. They doubled in price after the film, and you couldn't get them. Yeah. Everybody wanted one. But when we did Terminator 2 3D for the theme park for Universal, yep. you know, Jim Cameron said, you know, they couldn't get a fat boy. They had to rent a couple of them from some Harley place, and they weren't allowed to destroy them. Jim goes, well, we got to do this stunt drill. We're going to flip the bike, which I rigged. I said, Jim, we're going to take a sports trip. We're going to put a fat boy front end on it. We're going to put fat boy tanks on it. For the stunt, you'll never know. And it worked out great. And Jim needed aftermath shots of Arnold getting up from the ground, and the bike had to look wrecked. Right. And they sent a ref out from Harley Davidson to make sure nothing happened to these bikes. Well, Jim Cameron walked over with a sledgehammer to damage the, the real bike to look oh. like the stunt bikes. And the guy walks up and he goes, You can't die. I stopped him. He said, You don't tell Jim Cameron what to do. And Jim beat the crap out of the sledgehammer. I said, yeah, they'll never try to tell Jim what to do and what not to do, you know? It's like when we were prepping True Lives, and we, you know, we were, uh, was, we were discussing the helicopter sequence, how we, Jim goes, how are we going to execute this? I said, we're going to build a remote control limousine that Bill Fredericks will build, and um, we're going to cut out the skylight, and we're going to wall it. 
very smooth. And But this is a stunt we need to rehearse, Jim, because I have to know, because we're operating this car from 400 feet away from another vehicle behind it at 85 miles an hour. He goes, why 85? He said, Chuck needs to speed. We're flying a Bell 212, a twin-engine Huey, because we're still low to the ground. If we lose the motor transmission, he can still land safe on one motor. And he that bird handles at that speed. And remember, he's dragging a body, yeah, you know, and me on the skid and, and a double. And uh, he goes, so we, we did all the homework on this stuff. Plus, we had to do it at 85 because Jim came up to me and he says, when that limousine flies off of that causeway, I want to sink barges and build set pieces and have it hit. So I, a friend of mine who's a brilliant mathematician, we took the limousine, we found it center of gravity, we had it weighed this and that, and I, he said to me, if you're going to do this at 85 to 87 miles an hour, you're going to travel 190 to 197 feet. Because we're 12 feet up on the causeway, or 14 feet up, and then with with the arc and this, and the way he figured it happening, it'll hit the water at 190 between those rates. It hit at 195, and Jim came up to me afterwards. He goes, "Pretty good, pretty good math." And he didn't know. He thought I did it. I took credit, you know. But uh, anyway, uh, um, so we had to test this gag. So I said, "Jim, we need to know everything that's going to happen." how the limousine's going to handle it. They said there's servos in there. So if we swerve or turn it, it, there may be a lag time. What happens if the brakes lock up? What happens if something goes wrong? And I've got Donna Keegan uh, in a harness. Jamie's double goes up through me to the helicopter, and she's holding onto my hand. I mean, I can pick her up and lower her, but she's just a weight. She's a boat anchor. But the thing is, when we're in that limo, and one, when the car flew off, she just the car just dropped away, and then we just kept flying straight. And I said, that's how it'll look great. But so what I'm getting at is, he goes, put together a budget, because we have got to test it. He goes, and you go out and shoot all the tests for me. So I got the Mojave Airport. They have a 10,000-foot uh, runway. So I call up Tamboro. We get the camera ship. We get another Huey. I get the stunt crew. We got to have a ground support crew, fuel trucks. We got to have, you know, ambulances out there. We got to have the effects crew. I got to have everybody out there. So it is a hundred. It's about a hundred and eighteen thousand dollar day. And remember, this is thirty. Just to try it out. Today that would have been. Today would have been a quarter of a million dollar day. So he goes, okay. He, I show him the budget. He goes, take it downstairs to Stephanie Austin. Jim's going through protocol. Stephanie is the line putter here. Jim's the boss. Have her approve it. So I walk downstairs. I go to, I knock on, she goes, Joel, what's up? I said, here's the budget. Jim wants you to approve it. And so we can do it like next week. She looks at it. She goes, 118,000. She goes, absolutely not. I go, okay. I walk right back up to Jim's office. I walk in. I hand it to him. Stephanie said, no. He goes, what? Stay here. He walks downstairs. I hear his footsteps. Dig, 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 dig downstairs. His, her office is right below his. I can hear him just. Oh, man. With metaphors. This, that. Jim comes back up with a big smile on his face. Stephanie needs to see you. Dig, 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 dig. I walk back downstairs. <laughs> looks, she looks all disheveled. She goes, um, can you set it up for Saturday? I said, Stephanie, wouldn't it have been so much easier for you just to sign the freaking thing? You know, and uh, so we tested it. Came out great. The only, the only caveat we had there was because that helicopter is so big, 
you know, a helicopter fly, they, they fly right feet. Chuck couldn't see the limo. He didn't really have, ah. you know, I'm telling yeah. you this for a reason, because we're, we're on something to do next, you'll get it. Chuck didn't have a visual, so I had his brother, Mike Tamboro, doubling Tom Arnold, leaning out on, a, on an intercom radio. Okay, Chuck, hold that, hold that, hold that to the right one foot. I mean, how tough was that? But we got it. Ah. We did it. It took about three or four hours and a lot of testing, but we got it. Then I had to test. Okay, how long will it take us to stop this limo at 85 if we have a problem? If there's a problem before we get to the end of the bridge. So I did a bunch of speed tests. I could stop it every time at 360 feet. Okay? So on the day of the stunt, we're prepping. You know, we got 13, 14 cameras. We got a litter jet camera. We got a helicopter. Hey, it's an expensive day. It's not yeah. long. Yeah, that's, you're talking a million dollar day back then. Anyway, Easily. long story short, we built, we built two limos in case we lost one in the tree. If we never, for some reason, if Chuck could, Chuck, we had to fly along with the limo and dip her into the car. And then pull her back out. Seat. Yeah. And then we, and then it flies off the edge and we pull her back out. We did all the lead ups prior. So Jim Cameron goes, Kramer, what are those cones for? I said, those cones are set at 400 feet back. Jim, that's the point of no return. If she's not in the car there, we lose it. I can stop that car if you call cut anytime before that. He goes, okay. So we go back to base camp and it's still in the early in the morning. We've got breakfast. And Chuck comes up to me. We got the helicopter parked about 200 feet away from base camp. He goes, Joel, I'm still kind of worried. I don't know. I said, Chuck, you got a freaking idea. Uh, he goes, what? And I tell him, he goes, that, that's brilliant. So I call Scott Fisher, our text guy over. He said, Chuck, I'll meet you at the helicopter. I said, do you have like a, an eight-foot piece of dowel, a stick that we can get, you know, two or three inch? He goes, yeah. I said, can you put a bright orange tennis ball on the end? So he brings it over, and we... You know, we um, uh, pipe clamped this thing to the helicopter. So Ch- I said, Chuck, heat this thing up. Pick it up. So blam, we, we warm up. We get the Huey going. We pick it up about 12, 15 feet in the air. And, and Chuck goes, I can see the ball. That's perfect. Because that'll put that. Well, that'll, we matched it. We pulled it right over the limousine. And I said, Chuck, that's right at the front of the limo. Chuck goes, perfect. I got a visual. Boom, boom, uh, boom, 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 boom. We, we set it down. Here comes Jim. Here comes the producer. Goes, what are you doing? I said, I told Jim. I said, look, here's what we're doing. And this is what he goes. Well, there you go. Thinking, Kramer, good idea. He goes, I'll take the stick out and post in the tennis ball. Go ahead and watch the movie and stop framing it. They never did. It's still in. It's still there. It's still there. <laughs> yeah. It's still there. But Chuck had a visual. So now what we hear is where it gets interesting. So we had to take our base camp. Was, we're shooting this in Marathon Key. So we had to pick up the helicopter. Now we had to follow the limo. Now it's going to drive out of base camp. Jack Carpenter's in a camera car. Bill Fredericks is operating the limo. We have to drive about a, a third of a, a quarter of a mile just to get to the causeway. we got to get out of the parking lot, so we're going through all these turns, stop signs. As we're coming up to the causeway, I'm hanging on to Donna Keegan, and I see a stop sign, and her feet are going to hit it. So I lift her up about three feet. That's all I can do. I muscle her up, and I set her back down, and she's got this look on her face like, what are you doing? And I'm laughing, and she sees the sign, and she goes, thank you. Now, as we get to the causeway, we got we got about a mile, a mile and a half, 
and we're going and we're picking up speed. All cameras, we're doing 30 miles an hour. Get all the cameras set, everything going. Now we're picking up speed. Donna's top comes down. And oh. Exposed. Oh, and no. I'm, I'm hooked to her. I've got my armor on there. And I'm trying to scream at her over the whale of these of this jet engine and helicopter. And I'm going, Donna, your boobs. She's going, what? <laughs> your boobs. And I'm trying to point. And she looks down. She goes, oh, my God. She takes her other hand. And she's trying to pull her dress up over her breast. The other one flops out. She's thinking that. The other one. Now all the stunt guys, they're hanging out of the helicopter. We're doubling. The FBI agents looking at this. We finally get Donna buttoned up. We pick up speed. And we Chuck got her in the limo right at the 400-foot mark. Oh. And we got her in for the last, you know, three or four seconds of that drive. And the stunt went perfect. Can I ask you a couple of things about Commando? Sure. I've always heard that Arnold cut his hand really bad shoving that knife into the vest. Like when the whole no, getting good. ready scene. Is that not true? <laughs> No, he poked he poked his hand at blood a little bit. He didn't cut himself bad. They always embellish that. Yeah, you know? yeah. I guess but where so. he did get hurt, where he did get hurt, was when we were doing the big shootout in the mansion there. Yes, you know, we shot that up in Beverly Hills. They had these French doors, and they put breakaway glass and breakaway balsam. And Arnold's supposed to come through with the big shotgun. He does. Through. Yeah. And Benny Dobbins. Well. <clears throat> Before they put it in, I'm rehearsing with Arnold. And I said, Benny, I went to Benny and said, I don't think Arnold should do this. If he goes down, he's going to get hurt. It's these little stunts you get hurt on. Benny goes, he'll be fine, kid. He'll be fine. Arnold says, don't worry, I'm doing it. I said, well, at the bottom of Arnold, you got an 80-inch frame where the window was in. If you toe-tap that, you're in trouble. He goes, do I look like an idiot? I said, I'm not going to answer that, but yeah, you do. He laughed. <laughs> he come to do the stuff. He toe-tapped. Went straight down and separated his shoulder. Oh, you know it's in oh, the yeah. film though. The you. shot is in the film. It's in the film. Watch how he hits. He'll watch it. You'll see him toe tap. He goes man right down, flat to his elbow, and just he separated his shoulder. You know he shouldn't have done it. Did that you take know? him out of filming for a couple of days, or I don't re- that I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. I just don't remember. It's you know? funny, but it's funny because that mansion that you film in is famously the same mansion at the end of Westworld, where Yul Brenner, which is like the inspiration for Terminator, the way Arnold plays Terminator happened. You know where Arnold would go on to film a film. Yeah, it's funny. They've used that for so many different shows, you know, and. Uh, but we shot up there on Commando. Like, we didn't shoot Terminator there. But, uh, Beverly Hills Cop. The end, okay. end is in that film, I think. That same place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's a beautiful big place. They ran it out. We, and we ruined more trials on that roof that they had to repl- I mean, you know, that's what film crews do. You know, we're wrecking stuff. We're changing stuff. You look at the house. Look at the ex-wife's house, the cliffhanging house in Coldwater Canyon on Last Action Hero that we totally destroy. Yep. You know, we're bowling holes, a big shootout. So we're scouting that location. Now, back then, they could have, that house was around, worth around $275,000. John McTurney wants to shoot there. They don't want to build a set. So they're going to move the people out for three months. So that's going to cost an arm and a leg. 
We're going to rent the house at an arm and a leg. We're going to take out walls. We're going to put in, you know, effects that's going to blow holes. We're going to destroy this house. They're cutting out skylights in there so Arnold can do a drop down. You know, all this stuff. And they're paying an exorbitant amount of money. Oh, it costs sure. them like four hundred all in all four hundred grand for that one set. By the time they rented it, moved the people out, destroyed it, and had to put it back together. So I shot my mouth off in the van going, Why don't you guys just buy the house, wreck it, put it back together, and then sell it in a profit because it was in the movie? And they all looked at me like I was an idiot. You know. I was smart and though. That's what, yeah, that's when I learned to shut my mouth in front of studio heads and producers. How long did it then, take to... Uh, now they wish to put it. How long did you film this shootout in Commando around that house? I would think the neighborhood or neighbors would have went crazy with all the, the shooting and the gunfire and all well, of that. I remember, you, you can't have gunfire until after 8 o'clock. You have to be done by a certain time. But I, I don't remember. I think we were there for a couple of weeks. Yeah, two, three weeks, maybe. We Obviously, the same stunt guys get killed over and over, I'm sure. Constantly. We just stop, go change wardrobe, put a wig on him, do this, <laughs> put a bandana on darken him down. We did the same thing on True Lies with all the terrorists. Hell, we were running out of terrorists. We were putting crew people in there. Certain crew people, hey, you want to get Pat Hartley, this guy, he looks like he looks Middle East. Well, sure. Teach you how to take a bullet. You got you to do it, you know? We had this one guy, Max Daniels, one of my stunt guys. He was one of the two goons, the real small goon in the bathroom scene. You know, where Arnold beats the hell out of the two guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Guy in the well, Max, Max was a good friend of mine. And after that scene was done, he went up to Jim Cameron with his middle league. He goes to Sarkin. Jim, I am Akne, so-and-so's brother. And I was wondering if I could come down to Florida and play a terrorist. And Jim Cameron looked right at him and said, Max, you're kissing the wrong ass. You got to go kiss Kramer's ass. <laughs> he goes, it's okay with you. Yeah, I can make you look different. So Max came down. He worked in Florida for about six weeks. It was, he became the right, he was an ex-Lingling brother, Clowney. He became the joke. Now we're shooting back in L.A., and Max would come by and visit the set, stop at craft service, and Jim would, I'd look at Jim and goes, Jim, we're not dressing, let's kill him again. So finally one day he came down, and Jim goes, I can't kill you again, Max. I've seen you 20 ways from sundown. I said, Jim, we haven't killed a bald-headed razor-shade terrorist yet. <laughs> and Jim smiled. He looks at Max, and Max goes, you know, I think I owe you guys this one. He came back, bald as a mouse. Oh. I think we put a hat on it. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Did you do the oh, yeah. the famous... The swing in the Galleria Mall where Arnold swings no. over and lands on the on top of the elevator? No, I did not do that. That was a specialty stunt done by Bob Yerkes, who was a for years was a trapeze performer with Wingling Brothers and uh the top stunt man. But you know, that was one of those stunts where Bob's I think he swung like about two hundred feet and had to time it out. Oh yeah. Drop right on the elevator. That was done real. I mean nowadays we could rig it. You know, with, with flying rigs and on on, uh, on electric winches and do it, boom, boom, you know, take after take, no problem. But back then, we did everything for real. So, no, I was I was fine to let Bob do that stuff. Trust me. I that's, think that's you. That's you you um, jump off of the roof, fall, jumping down on the two bad guys, correct? Oh, yeah. I did everything else. I did all the car work, all the fights. 
all the jumping off the railings in the mall, you know, jumping the bed, all that stuff. Yeah. Jumping off the back of the water truck at the airport. Um, uh, okay. Of- the neatest gag on that was writing the nose of a DC 10. Oh yeah. Cause we did that for real. We shot that at uh, Long Beach airport and we had one of the McDonnell Douglas test toilets. And one of the things he said is he goes, I'm only going to burn the tail engine. If for some reason something goes wrong, I don't want anything or anybody getting sucked into any of those wing engines. Ah. So we built a steel step plate that we mounted on the nose. And I was cabled on. And, you know, he was only burning the nose wheel. I mean, the nose engine. And he, we were doing on the runway at 140 miles an hour where he actually lifted up the plane like it was peaking up. And he would hold that. And then he set it back down so gingerly. And Jack Carpenter in the camera car was doing 120. He goes, you guys flew right past us. I mean, this pilot was so good. And I said, thank God. I had ca- I put cables on when I'm hanging on. Just the wind drift alone off that. Boy, I'll tell you what. That would be tough to hang on to at 140 miles an hour. Oh, my and gosh. And then, and then you would and throw then, a dummy out of the bottom of it or something, correct? They threw a dummy. They threw a dummy out of like I don't That was it. Yeah, they threw a dummy out of some. Well, we we had a mock up that was built off of the side of the tractor trailer that would go up 12 feet in the air. Yeah. Got the fuselage bomb in the air so they could throw the dummy up. Then they dropped one from a helicopter that looked stupid. Yeah. And then I did a high fall into the water, into the swampy water up at the airport from about 40 feet. Other than it all kept together. You know. <laughs> Hey, I wanted to ask you about, you worked on Heat. That is the best cop movie ever made. What what was what was your role in that one? I was the stunt coordinator and second unit director. So you filmed the shootout, the most famous probably shootout of I, any I film. Filmed, well, I filmed parts of it. Well, Michael Mann would be you know, a block or two away shooting the actors. I'd be down shooting all the stuff with the police cars, you know, and the policemen doing the shoot out there, getting a lot of shots with them that Michael would later, you know, shoot with the actors. So I was, I was picking up a lot of stuff. I saw a lot of the lead ups for the car crash and the, uh, you know, and, oh wait, that was, uh, yeah, that was heat going in. No, wait a minute, that was collapse. I'm, I'm all mixed up. Yeah, that was heat with armored car heist and all that stuff. No, that was a different movie, wasn't it? Now, there's oh, no wow. armored car. Well, yeah, <laughs> no, that, there is at the that very was... beginning. Yeah, the very beginning where Rick, <laughs> a- Rick Avery is one of the and security I, guards. Yeah, I, I hired Rick, and uh, I shot a lot of the lead-ups to that. I shot all the traveling shots with the cars and the high-speed stuff. But uh, <clears throat> Michael shot most of the shootout. Thank you so much, Joel Kramer, for being on Guatney Unplugged. Great stories there. Hey, you guys go out and have a great Saturday, a great weekend. We'll see you next week right here on 1029 KARN.